Hi everyone, welcome to this edition of Royal Lions Radio. I'm your host Bill DeFilippo, joined by my co-host Nick Polak. Nick, it's been a while, what's going on buddy? It has been quite a while. Uh, I'm doing well. I have been busy going on vacation because it's finally summer vacation for me now, so we're up in upstate New York at a lake, which was nice. Um, but other than that, I have been itching to talk about Penn State football and Penn State athletics because it has been a while. Yeah, I mean, I haven't done anything fun, so I'm glad that you were, I'm living vicariously through you. Uh, and today's episode of the pot. Yeah, sure. That, uh, that's the thing I often think, but yeah, this episode of the podcast, we are going to be, uh, turning the day's content over to you, the listener, particularly the listeners of our podcast who uh, tweeted at us when we said, hey, y'all, we're looking for uh, questions for a mailbag podcast. We haven't done this in a while. We're going to dive back in with the mailbag podcast. And then starting next week, we are going to do a week-by-week breakdown of Penn State's schedule. We're going to do two teams Every episode of the podcast. So next week we're going to start with Akron and Pitt. Uh, week after that, Georgia State and Iowa. Week after that, India and Northwestern. Indiana and Northwestern. Penn State does not play India. That would be weird. And then just go on and on until uh, the end of August when we're going to have our pod with our buddy Matt Brown from Sports on Earth. And then do our podcast for uh, the first game week of the season. Football is getting so, so close. We're all getting really excited, and before we dive into anything happening next year, uh, we're going to look back. So our first question comes from Treb, one of our lovely writers at Roar Lions Roar. You may know him as uh, the guy who messed with Adam Schefter at a Starbucks in Philadelphia the night of the NFL draft. You wanted to know, what was the best tutty of 2016? The answer is Saquon Barkley's touchdown to the Rose Bowl. I don't even think it's close. Nick? Do you, like, uh, what? I, I, so I agree. I, that is obviously an excellent tutty. But the wheel route is really, is like a really, it's like 1A, I think. So, I mean, when we're coming, when we're talking about just like the, the play itself, I don't think that anything is ever even going to come close to touching uh, Saquon's touchdown of the Rose Bowl. That was just like unfathomable. But yeah, I mean, the wheel route was a mix of, you know, put it in the context of the game, because that one Penn State, the Big Ten, capped off a massive comeback to win the Big Ten. It was like the most college football play there is, a wheel route, a Watt brother looked really bad. I mean, there was just a lot working for that. That makes sense. Are there any under-the-radar uh, answers for you? I think in just in terms of improbability, the first... Uh, McSorley to Godwin touchdown in the Rose Bowl is up there. The one where he McSorley gets chased out of the pocket. Oh yeah, he's, he's backwards like fifteen yards. Take like two steps forward. Godwin somehow grabs it, tightrope walks the end zone. Like that that one was pretty. Yeah, hard. the one that uh uh Spencer Hall put in his post today where he fawned over how comically absurd Trace McSorley is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, that's up there. Uh, I think. You know, the touchdown against Minnesota, that is going to hold significance. Uh, Irvin Charles touchdown against Minnesota, I mean, that's going to hold significance for Penn State football for a while because, you know, quote-unquote, that's the one that turned the season around. Uh, the Chris Godwin one against Purdue was pretty fun just because the play was designed so beautifully that Godwin basically w- yeah, walked into the end. Yeah, 
that, and then there are just a bevy of Mike Gusecki plays where he went up and just hauled in a ball over a shorter human being. It was fun. Last season was fun. I would like it very much if Penn State did that again next year. Um, yeah, we got a non-Penn State football question here from Matt, one of our interns, also known as Good Matt in our Slack. Who do you think will eventually sit on the Iron Throne? Jon Snow. I think that's easy. Um, yeah, I, like, I can't fathom anyone else. Nick, what about yourself? I'm going to go with a wild card answer and say that they decide to melt down the Iron Throne and forge it into swords for the wars to come. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's... I, I, would, I would say they would just take the swords off of the existing throne, but I feel like they're probably... They're like melted, melted on. Melted yeah. in there. Yeah. So I don't think that's really an option. So I think they'll just have to melt the whole thing down and... Uh, Gendry will turn it all into new swords. Is Gendry still, like, a thing? Like, what's up with him? He's still rowing, man. Oh, well, good for Gendry. Uh, yeah, moving on. Uh, we'll, we'll actually start, like, diving into these questions a little bit more intensely a little bit later in the podcast. For now, we're just doing the fun ones to get our feet wet. Uh, this one from our friend Maddie Pryor. What's the one sporting event, obviously, outside of Penn State football you'd like to see played at Beaver Stadium? This is a good one. Um, I'll, I'll let you start with it, Nick, but I, I have an answer in mind. So I, I have two answers. I have one serious one and one silly one. The serious one, um, just because they have proven that they can draw fans in any setting, it would be kind of awesome to see a wrestling match. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. how loud it would get. WrestleMania. Uh, oh, you mean like wrestling, wrestling? Oh, yeah, or... I meant like Penn State wrestling. Oh, hell but, no. I want, WrestleMania would be awesome. Uh, but then my silly one is she did not specify that it had to be a Penn State sporting event. So oh, yeah. I, I was thinking, um, I, I guess I'm using the word sport loosely, but I'm thinking back to like ancient Rome Coliseum days. I wanted to, I wanted to fill up the bottom layer of Beaver Stadium with water and have them do ship battles, uh, like in the Coliseum. Sure, um, I was just gonna go with a World Cup match, but that if you want to get really uh, funky with it, I suppose that works. WrestleMania would also be fun, even though that makes zero sense. Uh, yeah, sense I mean, than a Blake Shelton concert. Sure. You're, you're the one who likes country music among the two of us, so... Uh, we're, not, we're not having this conversation. Nick likes country music. Moving on, worst barbecue food out there. Um, I don't really have a strong opinion. I think all barbecue foods are very good, so... Worst? I mean... I guess the thing that can be screwed up the most is... Burgers. Like, if somebody cooks them incorrectly. So I guess, like, a badly cooked burger... I mean, a hot hot dog is like the least imaginative barbecue food, so I, I don't know. It's tough. Yeah, I, I agree. All barbecue is good. Yes, I, I have. There is no thing on earth that I have less of a take on than this because barbecue is just good. Uh, moving on from our buddy Ray, he I do I do think ribs are overrated though. Oh shut just up! Toss that in there. You suck. Uh, moving on from our friend Ray, he wanted to know who wins a fight between Joe Moorhead and Sean Spencer. We decided to open this question up a little bit to if the Penn State coaching staff had a battle royale, who ends up winning? I have my answer. I want to hear yours, Nick. So, I... 
I need, I need to pull up the list. I, I, I need to kind of visualize in my mind how, how this is going to go. Like, who's going to get taken out first? Um, so. Oh, yeah. I don't, I, I don't care about any of that. Coach I care about who's the last man st standing. No, I know, I know, I know. But I need to I, – I feel like Jimmy will bow out fairly early. I don't think, I don't think Franklin's much of a fighter. Um, I think Ronnie is probably out pretty soon. Smith is too. Smith and Banks are too small. Whereas Spencer's small, but he definitely has fight in him. Dude is, Lime Grover, yeah. Lime Grover, I think, is a wild card. Uh, Pry, I think, is a little too small. Yeah, I think it would basically boil down to some combination of Moorhead, Gaddis, Lime Grover, and Spencer. Um, I feel I. I don't know. I don't. I don't think. I don't think Jomo could be beat. He's he's so he's such a massive human being. I feel like he his arm span would just take everybody out before they could even get close to him. Yeah, I that that's kind of the thing Morehead has going for him, and also he has that as we've seen with how he coaches football, he is like that's that quiet like ruthlessness about him where he just kind he's, of he's a silent killer. Yes, exactly. I'm still going to go with Josh Gaddis. I think he's very much an underrated option here. I mean. It would be kind of a David and Goliath thing because, you know, he's shorter. Uh, but he's still a younger dude. I mean, we he, he played in the NFL for a minute. I, I think he would be a very good, uh, you, you know, he'd be he, the he kind of guy. He could definitely outlast him. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of the thing. Like in a battle royale, I mean, it, when WWE does this Royal Rumble every year, it always ends with, or it always includes someone saying that all you have to do is survive. So, And I think he'd be able to survive and then, Again, not too far removed from his NFL days. Strong, fast, all that stuff. I, I think he would be able to hold up well. But if not, Spencer is just like... He is he is a strong dude. I mean, that guy is... And he also has like that intensity. He And we've mentioned this in the podcast last in the past where uh, last season, Penn State's defensive line... Um, it legitimately thought going into the year when it wasn't one of, like when it wasn't a very highly regarded defensive line that it was one of the best in college football. And as the year progressed, it did think it was one of the best in college football. And you know that stuff starts at the top and goes down. And Spencer had those guys going from the beginning, so he's an intense dude. He's a focused dude. He's a driven dude. Strong, strong dude. I, I, I think one of them. Uh, I think Moorhead, I, I'm not, I, he, oh God, that, this is tough. This is a very silly question, but. Did uh, you watch Blue Mountain State? I watched a few episodes of it, but I never really dove too deep into it. Okay, so there's one episode where, uh, I forget his real name, but the kid that plays Craig Shiloh, um, tries to inject himself with steroids in order to win, like, a 40-yard dash, which, this is an absurd sentence now that I say it out loud. But he accidentally injects himself with rabies instead. Hmm. I could see Sean Spencer in like injecting himself with rabies before this just to gain the upper hand. Huh. I think that's probably a stretch, but I will I will let you have this analogy. <laughs> uh, uh give me a second, we just got a new question. Ah, here this is actually an interesting one. Let's have this Let's have this interject. Are you looking at the Slack right now, Nick? I am. I see it. What are the chances that Franklin's extension will be made public tomorrow with the one-team event? 
maybe some leftover Fourth Fest fireworks? This is actually a really good question. Um, so as we have, we, we've heard rumblings going back to November or December that uh, Sandy Barber and James Franklin are trying to work out a new deal that will keep James Franklin in Happy Valley for a while. It would almost certainly be uh, a long, a fairly long deal, one that makes him very well compensated, one that would make it uh, difficult for him to leave because he's a good coach. And getting when you have a good coach, you do everything you can to try and keep him. Uh, there was a weird story that kind of dropped a day or two ago uh, that came from a four-star wide receiver in Penn State legacy, Solomon Enos, who uh, basically said that Franklin had the extension. I, we don't know if that is true or not. I, I mean, we're kind of at the point where at any time it can be announced, but that would be a, yeah, it'd be something else if that comes out soon. Like what, like just complete speculation, Nick, like what do you want to see in James Franklin's contract? Assuming he and Penn state are able to work something out sometime in the near future, because his contract is up sometime in the next two or three years. I want to say, I think the number one thing that any head coach, well, not any, most, um, but any fan should want to see too is that they not only compensate the head coach fairly and make sure that uh, he has a reason to stick around and whatnot, but to make sure that there's plenty of money in that contract allocated for assistance. Um, because obviously Penn State has a lot of really, really talented assistant coaches right now that they would like to keep around for a while. And there are a lot of guys that have, they seem to have head coach uh, qualities about them. So obviously the first guy that comes to mind there is a, someone like Joe Moorhead. He's not going to stay here forever, but maybe if they're able to give him a little more money, he sticks around for one extra year. I mean, it's not terribly far-fetched with uh 2018 will be McSorley senior year, so maybe they can get him to stick around just one more season for that. Brent Prize, a guy who looks like he could be a head coach someday, so get, being able to give him a little more money. Um, I wouldn't say Josh Gaddis necessarily seems like a head, co head coach material just yet, but with the way Penn State's receivers seem to be trending, he could be someone that uh, is garners a little bit of interest. And, same with same uh, with Sean Spencer. And just to interject, like with Gaddis, it is yeah. You have to mention the fact that he may be Penn State's best recruiter. I mean, he is like there is a chance that Penn State's recruiting a, a wide receiver group. This class is one that we're going to look back on in three, four, five years as one of the best in school history. So, uh, I mean, that makes him a kind a guy who whenever he's ready to take an offensive coordinator job solely because of his ability to recruit and because he's been coaching up the receivers really well, he's going to be a hot commodity, but uh, yeah, apologies. I, just want, I wanted to get in there and uh, add that. Yeah, no, you're totally right. Um, but yeah, I'd say just to keep the really solid group of coaches that they seem to have around. Personally, I just really want to see um, a good amount of money allocated towards uh, not not only being able to hire replacements when some of those guys inevitably do leave, but being able to give a bunch of them raises and now because they deserve it. Yeah, for sure. I and you know there there are the facility upgrades that sometimes happen in these deals, but it very much does not seem like 
Uh, James Franklin is going to have to try and negotiate that into his contract. But yeah, I mean, whenever a deal gets announced, uh, again, we're being asked about this through the context. Uh, through we're recording this on Thursday. On Friday, uh, there's the one team event. Maybe it gets announced there. Maybe it gets announced later. We honestly have no idea. Uh, but whenever it gets announced, it's going to be something fun to watch, both because of how Franklin benefits for from it, how Penn State benefits from it, uh, in the form of uh, some kind of provisions that look to keep James Franklin in Happy Valley, and how his assistants are going to benefit from it. I mean, if there's a deal that is able to keep Joe Moorhead in, Penn, in uh, Happy Valley for a longer period of time, I know I won't complain. I'm sure Nick won't complain, and I can't think of anyone who would complain. So, yeah, that'll be a uh, that'll be interesting, and we are rooting for it to happen eventually because that would be cool. Uh, moving on to our regularly scheduled programming uh, from our pal on Twitter, DJ Big Government. Uh, I'd make a joke here, but I, I know he's being sarcastic. So, deep state. <laughs> yeah. Does Penn State win a national title before the Mets win a World Series? The answer is very obviously yes. There has never been a more clear yes ever. Penn State is a very good football program and is set up well for the future. The Mets are legitimately a cursed sports franchise. And I like they have some young guys. They have Noah Syndergaard. Uh, they have Michael Conforto. They're a very, there are some very solid pieces there. But at the end of the day, they are still the Mets. Uh, and then what odds would you need to bet on the Mets? Uh, 500 to 1. Sure, Nick, whatever. I'm a little less um, decided on this than you are. Number one, because in order to win a championship, you first need to make the playoff in your sport. And it's much easier to make the playoffs in Major League Baseball than it is in college football, just by sheer numbers. And when you look at the NL East... The I mean, who obviously right now the Mets' biggest threat is the Nationals, but the Nationals aren't really trending in the right direction. Max Scherzer is great, but he's old. Bryce Harper probably won't be there for too long. Ryan Zimmerman, probably their second best player on the team this year, is like eighty-five years old. They are not—they're not set up to be good forever. And at least the Mets have, like you said, they have Syndergaard, they have Degrom, they have the like half a season they'll get from Steven Matz every year. Um, they have the ghost of Matt Harvey. They have Michael Conforto. They have Ahmed Rosario in AAA. They have some talent. So that combined with the fact that the NL East as a division is kind of weak, the Mets should have a pretty good shot to go to the playoffs for the next, I don't know, like four or five years, as long as they have that core of pitchers. So... Just on that fact, I don't think it's a slam dunk that Penn State wins a national title before the Mets, especially as long as like Nick Saban's at Alabama, Urban Meyer's at Ohio State. Um, so I, I don't know. It's kind of a toss-up for me which one happens first between those two. Sure. Um, well, I am, as we all know, I am a Yankees fan, so I very much want this uh, to not happen, and Nick is a Mariners fan. Who I believe that of the New York team, solely because of Yankee hatred, you grew up kind of liking the Mets, correct? Or like they were the lesser of two evils? Uh, yeah, I'd say lesser of two yeah. evils is more likely. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really just I just want everybody in baseball to suffer like I do. Sure, that's totally fine. 
Um, except for the Cubs. I like the Cubs. I, I, I want the Cubs to do well. Yeah, but now they won, so now yeah, it's, yeah, now so it's now not it's even tough. fun to root for them anymore. Yeah. Well, we'll have to find a random team. Well, no, we're both, uh, we're, we're both rooting for the Padres. How's the, how do the Padres sound? No, the Padres are technically the Mariners' rival. That is a completely fabricated thing by Major League Baseball, and it's probably mostly because they share a spring training stadium. But uh, by like listed rivalries, the Mariners and Padres are rivals. Sure. Yeah, whatever. Uh, yeah, we'll figure out a team that we can both like, ironically, I suppose. Uh, but before we do that, let us move on and discuss... Uh, a question we got from the Troy Apke fan club, which is, if you could describe Troy Apke in one word, what would it be? I don't want to discuss that. I want to kind of steer that conversation to a bigger conversation about Penn State football, which is Apke is one of the names that has been thrown around as a guy who is going to line up next uh, to Marcus Allen, who, outside of Saquon Barkley, no person has their job more locked down than Marcus Allen does, except for, you know, maybe like Jason Cabinda. Neither here nor there. He's going to start, and he needs someone next to him. Troy Apke is a name we've heard around as an option to stay, start back there. Nick Scott is a name that we've heard thrown around. Garrett Taylor is in the mix, apparently. Aaron Monroe is in the mix, apparently. There are guys at that second safety position, Apke being one of them. So, what, Nick, what are your just general thoughts on the safety battle whether it be who wins it, whether it be what Penn State needs to look for in this, uh, and whether you know something like Aki's experience wins out, or the ceilings of uh, Monroe or Taylor win out, or the leadership that Scott wins out, just all these various factors coming together uh, in that battle for the second safety spot. So the one thing that I think we need to, before we start talking about Monroe and Taylor and Scott and all those other guys, uh, Apke is still a really, really athletic football player. He was an incredibly uh, fast and skilled receiver in high school. Uh, played a little bit of receiver as a freshman before he got switched over to defensive back. And while he hasn't quite shown the same chops for the safety position as uh, the analogy I'm going to go here with is Trevor Williams, he hasn't shown as much chops for the safety position as Trevor Williams showed for the cornerback position. But in his senior year, Trevor Williams became a above average corner so it's not completely impossible that apke does the same at the safety spot this year so while it seems like a lot of people are going with the idea that apke is going to start the season but he'll be replaced by week four or five i don't think it's totally unlikely that apke is able to stick out the full season next to allen because i've doubted penn state safeties in the past and just i did so last year and then malik golden happened so i think they're he's capable of surprising but I think Nick Scott has to be the more interesting name of the group just because he has so much experience uh, both at running back and playing defensive back in mostly at, at practice last year. I'm not sure he really played much in any games. Um, like, you, you know, the New England Patriots have Matt Slater, who he's listed as yeah. a wide receiver, but he is just a special teams maestro. I mean, that was kind of Nick Scott's role last year, a guy who – just ju just was a fantastic leader and fantastic player on special teams, now making the transition over to defense. Yeah, he was an incredible special teams player. So he has experience hitting, has experience tracking guys. Uh, so those are both good traits to have as a safety. So 
I think he's definitely interesting. Long term, it is kind of looking like Garrett Taylor could be the guy of that group that could really step up, but by then there'll be even more uh, players younger than him that'll be in the equation. I don't think this year will be Taylor's year. I think we see a little bit of Monroe, but I think that the two we see most will be Apke and Scott, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm intrigued by Scott uh, for the reasons that we've discussed. I mean, he's... He, he's just a really great leader back there. And I think the thing what, that you need out of a safety when they're lining up next to Marcus Allen, who's just going to fly around and hit some people, is to be that center fielder, that safety valve type. And I think they can mold Scott into that with the way that he, you know, he spent his career reading, uh, reading holes on offense as a running back and then reading what people are trying to do uh, as a special teamer, and then playing in the secondary in practice last year, and then apparently playing rather well in the secretary, not in the secretary, in the secondary. The secretary. Da, 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 wow. In the secondary in the practice. The secretary of defense. Sure, that's Nick Scott's nickname now. Uh, so there are just things that are working for him, and it seems like in addition to performing better than probably most people expected, he just has all those intangible things that you want out of a leader on your defense. Apke has the experience at playing the position right now. He's had some ups and downs. Uh, but like you said, a really athletic guy, a guy that is kind of worth getting. Uh, he, I mean, he's talented enough that he could find a role out there, whether it's a starting role or whether he's going to kind of be a rotation guy like he has been. And he takes some kind of a step forward this year. Because I do think he takes some kind of a step forward just having just enough experience for being now one of the leader, quote-unquote leaders on the defense. And being a guy who's been around, who knows the system. Uh, just all that working for him. Monroe and Taylor are both fascinating to me. Monroe, when he was a recruit, we heard enough of him just being a really, really talented football player. Uh, he's had some injury issues. We don't know, uh, where he is in his recovery, but he seems like the kind of guy, really, really good athlete who could step in if he's healthy and make a serious impact. It, you know, again, if he's healthy, which is a big, 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 uh, disclaimer with him. And then there's Garrett Taylor, who I think of the four guys we are talking about has the most natural talent. Probably after Lamont Wade uh, and John Reed, who are just both freaks of nature, he may have the most natural talent of anyone in the secondary. And I remember watching his high school tape. He's just so smart, and he's just naturally one of those guys who is really good at football. We forget that in his recruiting class, Penn State, I want to say on 24-7, had like the number 121, 122, 123 players in the country. In order, they were Saquon Barkley, John Reed, and Garrett Taylor. He's a very good, very highly regarded football player. The circumstances which he got to Penn State, which is he decommitted from Michigan, somewhat, eh, not even somewhat surprising, because I remember, if I remember correctly, that was the Brady Hoke year. And then he just flipped right over to Penn State, and no one really saw Penn State coming. I think he's good. I think he's the kind of guy, last year he had... Uh, he was coming back from an ACL injury that he suffered uh, his senior year in high school. That him, cost him his true freshman year. Last year as a redshirt freshman, didn't really see the field all that much, and was also a cornerback. He is currently moving to safety, learning safety. 
he's the guy, and again, this is just speculation, but if he's able to put it all together and he is able to really embrace the safety spot, I think he has the potential to be the guy who ends the season there. But to start the season, I think it's probably going to be Apke. I mean, I think that his his experience playing the position in the game is going to give him an edge over Nick Scott, who I also think is going to get some reps, uh, especially early in the season when Penn State's going against uh, an Akron team that isn't especially fantastic through the air and a pit team that uh, God knows what they're going to be uh, on offense other than a lot of jet sweeps. So we'll figure all that out later. Uh, but I think the safety position is going to be really interesting. I think that's the position to watch on defense. Uh, like I can't think, Nick, of any position other than safety where I'm like actively trying to figure out what the hell is going to happen. Uh, defensive end, I think, is going to be fine. Replacing Brandon Bell, I think, is going to be fine. Safety is a position. It gives me a little bit of concern, uh, but I ultimately think it's going to be all right. What do you think? I agree that safety is the one. I mean, that's like the most up for grab spot. Um, but in terms of I don't really know what's going to happen positions, I think offensive line is kind of there too, just because we don't know what's going to happen with Mann and Nelson, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> when they'll be back, and what yeah. the lineup will actually look like. And So I think that's up there for we don't know what's going to happen too. Yes, I, I was talking just on defense, but if we're talking on both sides uh, of the ball, okay. well, we will talk about the offensive line a little bit more. I mean, let's do a quick dive in. Um, I think it's going to be better this year. Um, I think Ryan Bates is probably going to end up being a superstar. I think Connor McGovern is going to be really good. Those other three positions, kind of up for grabs. I mean, in a perfect world, what is Penn State's offensive line from left to right if it's going to have the best possible line that it can with the guys that it has and we're taking things like injuries out of the equation? I think ideally they would want it to be from left to right. Bates, Mayan, McGovern, uh, Menet, and Nelson, maybe? Yeah, something like I mean, I'm a little concerned just because, as we saw with Brendan Mayan, he was he really did struggle at guard when he was there. Uh, but when he was put at tackle, he thrived. And that was the case... Uh, when Herb Hand was Penn State's offensive line coach, Mayan just looked more comfortable at tackle for whatever reason. And then he was, there were some weeks where he was among the best offensive tackles in the country under Matt Linegrover. So I'm like, that is fascinating to me, whether or not Penn State decides to roll the dice on him at guard again. He's got the talent. Uh, I'm sure that Matt Linegrover is able to coach him up just because he's really good at coaching dudes up. I think if I had to pick my perfect line left to right. It is probably pretty similar. Uh, the, the fact that Penn State's offensive line is at a position where we don't have to be terrified about what's going to happen, which is going to make life easier on Trace McSorley and it's going to make life easier on Saquon Barkley, which is a very underrated thing because Saquon Barkley has not ran behind a he, I, his best offensive line he ran behind was when last year's line was at full strength, and that was an above-average line. It has gotten better. It is bringing dudes back. It is a group that 
you know, improved throughout the season. And I think if they stayed healthy by the end of the year, it would have been a pretty good line. Saquon yeah, well, I mean, by yeah. the by the numbers, it was an below average line, though. Yeah, that, which, that's the I thing. Mean, yeah, but I mean, I, to to our eyes, it looks like an above average line because of what we've been seeing the last few years. But I, I would yeah, want to by, s- by the numbers. There's a lot of room for improvement. I would want to see what Bill sees because we're talking about Bill Conley and the uh, numbers that he uses for uh, quantifying offensive line play. But I would want to see what those numbers looked like a little bit later in the season as the line started to gel a little bit more before uh, Mayan went down, before Nelson went down, before, you know, Penn State had to really start shuffling what it was doing up front, you know, with Steven Gonzalez getting in there, Chaz Wright getting in there, uh, just all these different moving parts. So I want, I would want to see what that looked like. I thought that it looked like it was getting better slight. Average to above average is probably what the ceiling was last year. But if this line is able to be a consistently pretty solid line, I, like, I don't know what the limit for this offense is. Assuming that really the other question is how a couple of wide receivers come around uh, and what they end up looking like. Uh, you know, Chris Godwin's gone. Deshaun Hamilton, there's some games where he's great. There are some games when defenses are pretty good on – Locking him down. There are some games where uh, DeAndre Tompkins kind of in the same position. Saeed Blacknall, again, kind of in the same position. There are the younger dudes. If Penn State is able to get one or two receivers to really uh, grow into the role of being a number one guy, and if the offensive line is able to be solid, I don't know. Again, I don't know what the limit for this offense is. Uh, but yeah, long story short, we both think the safety battle is going to be rather interesting this season. Um, let's end with, uh, some recruiting questions. We got question, a question from Matt Foreman. What is our plan for a 2018 QB recruit? Zembiak will be there, but we obviously need more. And Ryan Albert wanted to know, assuming Fields is gone, who are we flipping? I'm saying Patterson, Nick, I'm going to turn it over to you. This is going to be the interview portion of our podcast where I'm mostly just going to sit back and ask you questions. So 2018 QB recruiting plan. If you... I don't want to say gun to your head, but if you had to put money on a recruit in this quarterback class coming to Penn State, who is it and why? Uh, I think the only really logical answer to that question right now is Devin Leary, the NC State commit. Uh, he's I, there. It's likely that a few other guys emerge as uh, people they target after their senior seasons, get a little more tape on some guys, but... As of right this second, the only option really seems to be Devin Leary with Devin Leary with uh, Reuter having committed to UNC and with Patterson seeming pretty solid to Virginia Tech. Uh, granted, when a guy comes out and says he's 100% committed, that doesn't mean he's 100% committed, but it, it seems like he's fairly solid in that commitment, and I don't blame him because I, if I were a high school quarterback, I would be excited about the idea of playing under Justin Fuente. So uh, I think Leary's the really only obvious answer right now. You will, as Penn State fans, you will continue to hear chatter about Justin Fields until the day that he signs a letter of intent for a school. As much as Justin Shorter and the other recruits may want you to believe that he has a chance to come back it really does seem unlikely at this point so uh 
while he's technically still on the board, I'd say it's very unlikely. So Devin Leary kind of really is the only logical choice for that question right now. And one thing that I think is important to uh, mention about Leary is the fact that he currently does not have an offer from Penn State. Uh, so much of what we talk about when we talk about Weary is done under the assumption that Penn State was going to give him an offer. He seems like he is, as of right now, if Penn State does not come knocking, he seems like he is perfectly content with going to, to uh, NC State. Of course, if Penn State does come not knocking, who knows? I mean, they're uh, one of... Uh, land of tens recruiting guys. He's, all, he's also a guy that I think will blow up a little more nationally too. Yeah, uh, he performed really well at the Elite Eleven and the opening. So I think, uh, I think he's somebody who, as teams start to, like, let's say the four, four or five teams that are going after Fields that don't get Fields, will most of them will still need a quarterback. So I think he'll be somebody that gets a lot more interest nationally uh, as we move forward to. Yeah, another interesting thing to mention, uh, Tyler Donahue, Land of Ten, uh, recruiting columnist. After Fields decommitted from Penn State, he put in a crystal ball uh, for Leary to Penn State. Don't, Of course, you should never read too far into things like crystal balls. But having said that, it, it, it's an interesting... It, it's interesting that someone who is plugged into things is co- going out there and saying, listen, he doesn't have an offer right now, but I think he ends up at Penn State. And like you said, he's the kind of guy who can blow up. I think he was the kind is the kind of guy that Penn State fans would really love. Watching his tape, he reminds me of a less... Uh, how do I put this? He is a he, he's not as willing as Trace to dance around, and he's not as good at making dudes miss. You know, ducking and spinning away from dudes, doing all the really fun, interesting stuff that Trace does. But he has a better arm, which is not supposed to uh, you know demean Trace or anything. Just Weary has a rocket. I think he's the kind of guy who would be a very fun and interesting fit at Penn State, and I think that. Kind of the, that's kind of where Penn State has to look right now. I mean, when you're going down the list of quarterback prospects, basically every, everyone who Penn State could target is committed somewhere else right now. There's one dude, uh, Will Lewis from uh, Connecticut, who Penn State has, uh, have they offered him? Or is he just a name that's been thrown? Oh, they have not offered him, so forget that I'm saying this. I will ask Nick another question now. Nick, we are doing this after oh. Penn State got a recruit. What can you tell yes. us about Jordan Miner? So Jordan Miner, and uh, I'll kind of paraphrase some things that I put on the site uh, after he committed, but the thing that's interesting to me about Miner is that he's continuing this trend that the coaching staff has had of trying to get different sized corners. Um, typically, well, not maybe not completely typically, but... A lot of times you'll see coaches and staffs kind of favor a certain type of cornerback because there's basically two distinct styles nowadays. There's the big bruisers that try to play the Seahawks style and try to get away with a little more contact and uh, basically try to bully you off the ball. And then there's the smaller playmaker types that can flip inside and outside. Penn State has a good mix of both, I'd say. 
Uh, Grant Haley being on the slightly smaller side. John Reed definitely on the smaller side, but both still uh, fantastic playmakers. And then you have Christian Campbell, who's a little bit bigger. Uh, in last year's recruiting class, Donovan Johnson, DJ Brown, Lamont Wade were all smaller but very explosive. And then there's Tariq Castro-Fields, who was six feet tall and definitely towered over towered two inches taller but in cornerback terms towered over them and he's seems just to be a little more again kind of in that Richard Sherman mold that just bruiser just gonna body you off the ball in the 2018 class they already have Trent Gordon who's around 510 uh, that's the 247 measurement and usually those end up being a little generous so I guess when all of a sudden done, he's probably more like five nine five nine and a half um, but Miner is listed at 6'1", and he looks to be a pretty legitimate 6'1 in his tape. He's a pretty big dude, uh, and what is interesting about him is that he's big and athletic and he's fast. He comes from Florida, so you know he knows how to play defensive back because Florida produces defensive backs that are top-tier players year in and year out. Um, and he he's not a perfect prospect, uh, I was writing about how he plays a little bit of a risky style. He kind of plays that Asante Samuel style, or not Asante Samuel, the uh, Akib Talib style of cornerback, although I guess Asante did too, um, where he, they keep their eyes on the quarterback a good amount of the time and just kind of use their natural feel to stay with the receiver. Um, that's something that Miner seems to do a lot of in high school, which is something that good quarterbacks can take advantage of in college and the NFL, but of course, it's high school, so you can get away with that. So that's not, I mean, it's obviously not a set-in-stone thing that he can't become more of a uh, eyes-on-the-hips type corner. But like I said, he's big, he's fast, he's strong, he's very good at high-pointing the ball, he's very good at breaking on the ball, he's he's good at reading a quarterback's eyes and figuring out where that ball's going. So I think Penn State fans should be pretty excited about Jordan Miner. So I think I have to ask the question that, is asked of every defensive back who is six foot one or so, and that is: Is he going to end up being a cornerback or a safety, uh, and why? I think it's a little too early to say. Um, the style that he shows in high school, I think he could be a safety because when you play safety, that's kind of your job is to read the quarterback's eyes, not so much just follow the receivers. Um, and he seems to be pretty good at finding where the play is designed to go and getting there, even that's even if that's not his man, if he's near there, he can get over and make a play. But I think it depends on who else Penn State brings in in this class. Um, guys like Ashim Young are still on the board, and Ashim Young is as true of a center fielder type safety as there is. Ashim Young team. rules. I, like, every, yeah. I, I'm sorry, that dude is... He's one of the few people who, as I watch him play, I go, this dude is going to be a superstar. If he was a little bit taller, I'm convinced that he would be pretty, like, he would be a top 50 prospect, I think. He's awesome. Easily, yeah. He's he's very, very good. Uh, but yeah, if Penn State's able to bring in Ashim Young and Isaiah Humphreys, who I think Isaiah Humphreys could also play corner as well, uh, and then maybe are able to surprise and get Quantel Reigns, I'd think he's probably headed for Pitt as of right now or West Virginia, but we'll see. I think if they're able to get two safeties, I think they'll be able to be comfortable leaving Miner at cornerback because, I mean, it's always good to just have a few big bodies out there. Um, I think about how big Christian, Campbell, Christian Campbell's been for Penn State over the last few years, 
as a plug-in, just knowing that if somebody goes out, all right, it's not just a inexperienced kid coming in there. Even if Campbell, well, even if Campbell, when he was inexperienced, he was a big body, so he wasn't something. He wasn't. He was definitely wasn't a pushover out there. So I think ideally they like to keep him at cornerback. I would guess right now, but he definitely has the instincts to play safety as well. So one thing that uh, you know this time of year with recruiting. Things are happening in the, in the uh, summer. Fun events are happening in the summer for Penn State. The fun event that is on the horizon is the Lash Bash. Who are some guys, Nick, that you want to keep an eye on heading into that, at least that we know of right now? And like, who are the guys from this group that you think may, may exit Lash Bash giving word to James Franklin that he's going, they're going to be Nittany Lions? Um, I'm not going to talk in specifics of who's going to be there just yet because there is some time out and these lists for these events are constantly in flux. Like there's the list right now could look drastically, drastically different. So instead I'm going to kind of pivot from what you said and talk about who the next few commitments could be, if that's okay with you. Yeah, totally Uh, fine. So the obvious one would be Ashim Young would be the next possible one. He is announcing his commitment on the 16th, I believe, is it was said. Um, he's Something like a, that. Yeah, he's having a pool party where they're filming his commitment video sometime soon, which is the most 2017 thing I've ever heard. But he will be announcing it publicly, I believe, in a little over a week and a half. So all signs are pointing to Penn State being the choice there. It would be a pretty surprising uh, it would be pretty surprising to see him end up elsewhere. Um, so he could be a next one. PJ Mustafer is a guy who people thought was going to be committed already. Seems like he could go at any time. Maybe he could drag out and do all his visits first. It's kind of up in the air. Rashid Walker is another guy who could be a commit any day. Jack Lamb seems like he's going to need a few more visits, maybe one more each to Notre Dame, UCLA, and Penn State before he has a better idea of where he's headed. Tyreek Smith probably going to visit Ohio State, Penn State a few more times. Um, I know a lot of people have been asking the question of if Ohio State will have room for Tyreek Smith and then have room for a guy like Jason Owe. And uh, from talking to Alex Geitman at uh, Bucknuts, the Ohio State 247 site, he said they definitely will have room for both and they definitely want both. So uh, both seem to be he- trending towards Ohio State right now. Owe, though, has said that he favors whatever school he's been to most recently, so there's still still some time to go there. Um, guys like Houston Griffith are going to take their official visit. A guy like Jahan Dotson. Again, he could be another one any day. Daniel George, not really sure what his timeline is anymore. Uh, Solomon Enos could be another one. Most likely he'll wait to take some visits. But, I mean, there, there's a lot of guys on the board for Penn State right now that kind of seem like they're teetering on the edge of being ready to commit. And a lot of them are looking really good for Penn State. So this month of July could be really, really big for Penn State. Hey, so real quick, um, you met, before we talk about something a little more interesting, uh, you mentioned Houston Griffith. Have you seen what his crystal ball has been doing lately? I have not. I'll look at it right now, though. Look at it right. Th- this is going to be one of those things where Nick doesn't know what's happening, and I don't think he really considered this as a possibility of a thing that is going to be happening. So I expect him to be rather 
uh, intrigued by the latest movement in Griffith's crystal ball. Griffith is a Penn State defensive back target, uh, top 100 or so kid, uh, 6'1", cornerback at IMG Academy. Uh, Florida State for a while has been viewed as the favorite, but Nick, are you on there now? Nebraska, Nebraska, Nebraska. Yeah, because we saw that one coming. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, real quick, uh, I want to ask about two kids. Uh, first, you kind of touched on him, which is Justin Fields. Uh, and then we are legally required to talk about Micah Parsons. So uh, <sighs> as far as you know, what is the latest on uh, the two of them? And if you had to put a number on both of them coming back to Penn State, I, by what you said about Fields, I'm going to guess that number is pretty close to one or zero. Uh, but Parsons, I am kind of interested in hearing what you think about because it seems like uh, he's been coming back up to Happy Valley recently, came back up with his dad, and it just seems like he might be interested. Uh, like there might be some renewed interest uh, from seeing Penn State from the perspective as an uncommitted kid, which isn't to say Penn State has the... Uh, has the inside track on him, but more of just a general note. Yeah, I'd say Fields is like a one. I just think that if, I mean, it's kind of an obvious thing to say that if he were going to commit to Penn State, why would he have decommitted in the first place? I just think he has so many more options down close to home now that probably do offer sooner playing time than he would get at Penn State. Uh, if there was some sort of guarantee that Joe Moorhead would be around forever, maybe that'd be different, but I I don't think Fields is coming back. I don't think the door is completely, completely shut, so I'm giving it a one, but I think that's very unlikely. Uh, Parsons, despite all the things he's saying about interest in Nebraska, it's, boy, what if Nebraska got Parsons and Houston Griffiths? Sorry. Um, well, I mean, that'd be nice, but there's also no promise that Mike Riley is there past this year, so... Yeah, I, and also I think Nebraska is doomed to be, well, of course they're doomed because they fired the guy that would get them nine wins every year, so they're doomed to be like an eight-win team every year now. But I, despite the visits to Florida and the visits to Nebraska and the reports that, oh, Florida really is a legitimate option for him, I, it's going to come down to Penn State and Ohio State for Parsons. It was always going to be, and it was always, I mean, it's, it's always going to end up being that in the end. I... As of right now, I would say it's like 65-35 in favor of Ohio State. I think they definitely do hold the upper hand right now. It, At least publicly, it doesn't really seem like a lot of the Penn State commits are really doing a whole lot to try to convince Parsons to come back. And again, that's just publicly. They could be texting them every day. It's... Um, that that we'll never really know that at least we'll never know that on the record but i i think he probably ends up in ohio state's class right now but the fact that he is continuing to visit penn state i i think he really does uh, people forget parsons committed to penn state for a reason he really does love penn state uh, i believe his father's a penn state fan i believe his mother likes i believe it was said that his mother favors penn state over Ohio State, and perhaps that has something to do with the fact that it's very, very close to home. But I don't think it's, I don't think it's quite a fifty-fifty between Ohio State and Penn State for Parsons. I think the Buckeyes lead, but it's definitely not off the table that Parsons ends up back in the class. 
Yeah, I, I mean, Parsons is just such a fascinating case where at this, I, I mean, when he committed from Penn State, yeah, I think everyone probably thought it was going to end up being, uh, it was going to end up being Ohio State. But he does seem like he's at a point where he is willing, he's not like approaching this as, I decommitted from Penn State because I don't want to go there. Or I decommitted to Penn State because I want to go to Ohio State more. He seems like he's at a point where he decommitted from Penn State because he just wants to be able to go through the recruiting process without being tied to a school. Like It, it seems very possible that he is going into this whole thing with an open mind from really all angles. Whether or not that means he ends up at Penn State, I don't think any of us are really in a position to say that. But that would be one hell of a comeback story for Penn State. And uh, I think that we would all kind of enjoy that. So, Micah, do what's best for you. At the end of the day, that's what matters, blah, 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 all that. Uh, I would like it if Penn State's class ended up being very good. Are there any other recruiting things I forgot to mention? Um, Justin Shorter is going to be a five-star soon. Yeah, you want to... Rick, Ricky Slade will probably be one, too. Do, do you want to talk about what Justin, Shor- is, Justin Shorter yeah, just did? Sure. Um, but yeah, I, really quick, Ricky Slade and Ricky has been Slade one off too, and on. He's, cur- he's currently a four-star, but I believe he is the highest-rated four-star. I think he's the last Yeah, one. he's one of those dudes who's like kind of in between uh, four- and five-star status perpetually. So there are, some, there are one or two places where he is a five-star, if I remember correctly, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, so we can talk about what Shorter and, and Slade did at sure. the opening. Uh, so, Shorter... <coughs> I, I, cough, 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 on the team with Justin Fields. Cough, cough. Yes, yes. Um, and we'll get to that quote about that Shorter talked to Tyler Donahue about. We'll share that real quick, too. But, uh, so at the opening, uh, one I know one of the big things that people were curious about, I know... But Elliot was saying this. Uh, he wanted to see what Shorter looked like against elite level corners because, I, while I do think Bud overrates the South a little bit compared to the North, uh, he was talking about how Shorter pr- doesn't face as talented of defenses as he would in other parts of the country, being in New Jersey, which I think is a little facetious because New Jersey has some pretty pretty good football players. Yes, uh, and as we all know, Nick and I are both from New Jersey, so you do not talk bad about our state. Yes, it's true. My high school apparently has won back-to-back state championships now, so that's neat. Uh, but Shorter just completely balled out. He was arguably the most dominant uh, receiver in the entire event. He I didn't really ever seem to be challenged a whole lot. Uh, part of that was probably the fact that Fields is quarter, was his quarterback and Fields was uh, locked in the entire weekend. He was outstanding, but it's... Kind, I mean, it's not like anyone didn't see this coming. I mean, shorter. He's he's six four two thirteen. He's a, not the fastest kid in the country, but he is very very quick. He's got solid hands. He can run different kinds of routes. I mean, he's really really good. There's a reason that people beforehand before the event were saying, "Oh, he, this is his chance to earn five star status." I think he did. He was outstanding. He was probably the most feared weapon in the entire tournament. And then also on his team was Ricky Slade, who didn't put up the same numbers that Shorter did. But from what I hear, the defensive pla- back pe- blah, 
the defensive back play was mostly outstanding and led to a lot of just quick underneath passes aside from the ones that went to shorter. Um, so Slade being the really dynamic, uh, all-purpose back that he is, was a another great target for Justin Fields. So that, I mean, that trifecta combination was outstanding. They ended up winning the little tournament they had. So even if Fields doesn't end back up at Penn State, which, again, most likely not going to happen, Shorter and Slade are going to be a really, really fun combination when they get to Happy Valley. Yeah, uh, I'm pulling this up right now, but uh, Shorter talked to Land of Ten, and he... I mean, it, it is something of an elephant in the room when it comes to... Uh, when it came to the opening. Penn State's two biggest offensive weapons in this class a guy who can end up being Penn State's best wide receiver in two or three years and a guy who can end up being Penn State's running back in two or three years were on the same team as a guy who was committed to Penn State to play quarterback for six or seven months or whatever it was. And in that time, he saw his stock rise to the point that there were some people at the opening making the argument that he is the best player in the country right now. And Fields' quote was, I think based on my play and the way Ricky Slade played two Hopefully Fields sees us even more as two guys he wants to play with in college. I hope he'll eventually come back to PSU, but we'll see what happens. Uh, I think that is that is a mix of wishful thinking and a pretty logical way to look at it. I, I mean, if any, you would think that if anything could happen to convince Fields to come out, come back outside of like. Trace McSorley going to the NFL because he wants to play early if there, if he does indeed want to play early. It's seeing that he is going to be in a place where he is going to have so much talent around him that when you mix that with his natural talent, he's going to be a superstar. Like there is nothing that can prevent him from being a superstar. And Nick, like again, that's probably wishful thinking, but at the same time, I, I mean, if Justin Shorter is going to say anything about it, that's probably exactly what you want him to say. Yeah, I think he worded it well. He didn't say anything like, oh, yeah, I think this weekend really convinced him. He, he didn't make any absolutes. He didn't speak in definite terms. The thing is, though, that this happens every single year at the opening. It happens every single year at the Under Armour All-America game. I remember uh, four years ago, I guess it was, five years ago, when Christian Hackenberg was at the opening, tossing touchdowns to Ricky Seals-Jones nonstop. Everyone was starting to say, like, oh, Maybe this will convince Ricky Seals-Jones to come. It's it's not really how it works. I mean, it's it's an all-star event. Everybody's playing with outstanding players. I Yeah, I'm sure Fields loved throwing to Shorter, but it's not like wherever he goes, he won't have a go-to number one receiver with him there. So while it may, maybe gives him something to think about in the long run, I would hardly say that playing with, shorter and Slade would really make a sizable impact on Fields recruitment. Can can I challenge you on something you just said? Sure. Uh, he will have a number one receiver option wherever he goes. Are you going to bring up Florida? I am going to bring up Florida. He could go to Florida. And I like Antonio Callaway. He'll be gone by then, though. Yeah. it's Again, it's also Florida. Like, What thing gives you any optimism that Florida's offense is going to what, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. Not be playing, stagnant? Playing in the swamp is cool. I don't, I don't know. 
I don't. That doesn't help you on offense. I know. I don't. I. I don't get the floor. I mean, I don't get the Florida love aside from the fact that he'll definitely get to play early there. But yeah, um, yeah. I I think that Auburn or Georgia are much more realistic, or Florida State, I guess, are more realistic options. Yeah, I mean, I think that if he wants to one play early and two play in a place where he's going to. Uh, do some things. Florida seems like a bit of a stretch. I love the thought of him at Auburn and that, in that yep. beautiful Gus Malzahn offense. But yeah, there's there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on here, uh, and there was a lot going on in this podcast. And I think we are done with it. Unless there's any last thing you would like to say, Nick. It's good to be back. It's good to be back. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of the podcast. As always, make sure you're subscribing to us on all of our various podcast channels. It's been a while. I can't remember them, but iTunes and SoundCloud are two of them. Uh, <coughs> oh, excuse me. Uh, we're on um, Overcast. I and actually, it's not called. It's now it's called the. Uh, maybe it is called iTunes. I forget what it's actually called now, but it has a new name. It's not just called. I think it's Apple Podcast is what it's called now. Um, we're on Overcast. Uh, Google Play. We're on Google Play. Google Play. Uh, Maybe we're on Stitcher. I don't know. I'll check. Um, like we said, it's been a while. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah. Uh, oh, I, I have last one thing I want to say. Bill, have you seen Moana? I have not seen Moana. You should watch Moana because it's excellent. I'm going to play us some outro music from Moana. Yeah, cool. I'm almost. Are you going to do it while I'm doing the end of pod thing or are you going to wait for me to finish talking? Um, I'll wait for you to finish talking. Okay, uh, buy our shirts, support the site, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. Uh, and yeah, thank you, uh, as always, again, for listening to this, this edition of the podcast. For Nick Pollock, I am Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Bye. Here's The Rock singing. You're welcome for this wonderful podcast now. Okay, bye. Bye.